You're listening to episode number 187 of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm your host, Sean Devine, and today I am very, very happy to be joined by Dan Gephardt. Hey, Dan. Hey, Sean. So we've been planning on this, at least uh, informally, for a while now, uh, maybe as far back as early January. And what is today? April 2nd. So uh, I am I am happy that we made this happen. So am I. Thanks for having me on, Sean. All right. So uh, let me say why I invited you. So I uh, am... I have been interested in JSON API for a a long time now. I'm going to say probably two years. Could it, could it be that long that it's been around? Probably. Yes. Yes, yeah. it actually uh, was conceived uh, in uh, almost exactly two years ago. So at, at RailsConf in 2013, uh, Yehuda Katz sat down and decided to formalize the... Uh, the relationship that between uh, his server side library and his uh, client side consumer uh, that he, he's he had been working on and decided to formalize that as a spec and it's been evolving since it's an exciting time actually it's almost at 1.0 yeah so i've i've been following for a couple of years and we'll uh We'll get more into why that is, but you are the the shepherd, the the tip of the spear, the the man that seems to be pushing it from uh, almost done to done, and uh, so that was reason one that I wanted to have you on, and then reason two is that uh, you and your brother and your your company that you uh, share are responsible for one of my absolute favorite, uh, relatively new open source projects this year, which is uh, JSON API resources. So either one of those reasons would have been more than enough for me to just to, uh, be dying to talk to you, but combine them together and I'm, I'm, I'm psyched. Hey, hey, well, thanks. Thanks for your involvement on that project too. You've been a big help, Sean. Well, you're welcome. So let's, let's talk JSON API first. So for those that do not know, uh, could you give the pitch for what it's about? Sure. Uh, simply put, JSON API is a spec for uh, for building JSON-based APIs. No surprise there. But it goes a bit further beyond defining a media type with a document structure. It also defines uh, expectations for usage of the HTTP protocol. It doesn't try to override <laughs> the HTTP protocol, but it provide, provides a path for using the protocol to, in a restful way to create, update, delete, and fetch resources. So not only are you, does the spec define the way in which those resources should be represented, it also defines how they should be uh, fetched and manipulated. So what, what's the slogan that they went with a, uh, about a year ago, the anti-bike shedding weapon or some such thing? Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, that slogan I think is the gateway for JSON API into a lot of organizations because if you've ever built a J, uh, in, uh, API and you've ever built it with a team, you realize there's all these fussy little decisions to be made. And while they seem pretty trivial, you know, how to represent um, 
um, a single object versus an array, how to represent relationships, uh, how to handle polymorphism, how to involve hypermedia links, how to do pagination. All of these decisions, uh, you know, end up being a death by a thousand cuts for an API designer. Uh, and JSON API provides a way, a path away from bike shedding over all those decisions because it provides a consistent uh, representation that that handles all of those uh, tricky decisions, which you know on their own might not be tricky, but together it's actually pretty tricky to design a consistent uh, uh, consistent API that. That, that incorporates all those little decisions into into a, 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 into a bigger picture. So one of the not at all uh, surprising ironies of JSON API is that the project itself has become, at least to my mind, the ultimate bike shedding exercise for the community. Like I, I cannot That's believe right. I cannot <laughs> believe the degree to which people spend their, you know, uh, mental energy and a lot of smart people at that, um, arguing about the details. Now that makes sense, right? Cause if you're going to have the thing to cure bike shedding that, that, that it in and of itself would be a bike shed of like massive proportions, like that makes sense, right? Cause it's absorbing the bike shedding of, of the community, but holy cow, <laughs> uh, did you have any idea that that's what you were getting in, getting into on this? Uh, yeah, I imagine it, it's, it's like a uh, feeling I'm at the edge of the event horizon of a black hole. <laughs> yeah. It's like the bike warehouse or the, the bike warehouse. Like yeah. other projects have bike sheds. This one is not a bike this, shed. The, the bike, the bike warehouse. Yes. This is, yeah. it's like the aircraft this is uh, the hangar. Local. The white hot nucleus of this, the bike shedding singularity. It's really yes. true. So tell me about that. Cause you, now we don't know each other personally, but, uh, your online demeanor and you know, your, uh, chatting via Skype demeanor is just so level headed and adult and calm. And I find it fascinating that you are at the middle of this, this, you know, nuclear fire of bike shedding activity. It may, maybe that's how it needs to be. Maybe in the world needs a guy that's as level-headed as you to kind of carry the torch on something so difficult. But tell me about that experience. <laughs> well, thanks. I can't say it's it's been easy, but um, in general, I've been incredibly uh, impressed and uh, just... Uh, pleased with the level of discourse that goes on in these issues over these really uh, contentious and thorny problems that people have a real stake in solving their way. Uh, maybe they've solved it one particular way for, for years. They've, they've already, or they've built tooling that, um, you know, that, that, that they don't want to rewrite. Or that they just, uh, you know, or one issue is just not not uh, very important to them. Well, everyone comes from a different perspective, and and yet we're all trying to solve solve these common problems. Um, you know, the, the 
with with a project like this it it with with people who have you know real stakes in these issues uh i've just been impressed with with um you know the the level of respect and the uh the maturity of of the community that you know i think is not just me as a maintainer or or i just, it hasn't just been me but it's also been yehuda and steve klabnik tyler kellen has come on board and he's been helping a lot with uh with issues recently and he's also got an implementation out there uh called endpoints for node um and you know all of these people are not in this to um you know to to ram opinions down other people's throats this this uh we're we're all trying to build consensus here and so if we can simply focus on the goal of a particular issue or or a pr that from a from a technical perspective you know what are the what are the the merits, the the blockers here. Where 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 does it conflict? Then we can you know get away from personalizing it and focus on how it fits into the cohesive whole. Yeah, I think you've earned the the kind of trust of the community on that point because there are a handful of changes that were made between RC one and RC two that um, I think most maintainers would not have made that I think were good ideas. Like I'm trying to think of a couple of good examples. Uh, was that when linkage happened instead of included? I think so. Well, yeah. Just, yeah. So, I would say that the, the specs gone undergone, uh, a real change of character in the last year. Uh, I, you know, it, it was originally drafted by Yehuda, uh, two years ago. And there were some pieces, it was in a, it was a very good first draft, but it was never intended to be one Oh. Um, and it didn't, there were some inconsistencies and some, uh, you know, some, uh, uh, scenarios that it just didn't account for. And it evolves, the, the draft evolved slowly. Um, to incorporate a lot of edge cases. And we had some implementations that were based upon, you know, early versions of the, the specs draft. And we didn't see a reason to break those implementations. You know, we, we certainly weren't out to be, we wanted to be more inclusive uh, w- with the spec in order to provide some guidelines. It, you know, at the time, I think the focus was largely on reducing bike shedding, saying, here's a technical problem that needs to be solved. Well, here's our opinion on this. You know, implement this if you like, otherwise don't. And with this approach led the spec to grow. And it incorporated some kind of uh, orthogonal concepts like support for JSON patch, which are 
RFC 6902, mm-hmm. not just the patch verb, but the, the document type there too. Uh, and, you know, it tried to be inclusive about all of these aspects that, that really were pretty orthogonal. And it also tried not to break any implementations. So what we ended up with was an anti-bike shedding guidebook, but we didn't have something that could be called a standard. Yeah, there were just too or many. Or could aspire to be called a standard. There are too many maze because I've implemented now, I don't know, a handful of apps with JSON API at its different sort of points in time. And I remember back in that, that sort of first version, maybe two years ago to one year ago, there were still a lot of choices that you could make. And it meant that the tooling around libraries that would expect something to be JSON API compatible just didn't exist because, you know, it was too, uh, it wasn't locked down enough what it, what it meant to be JSON API. So I, I kind of felt like the transition from that period of its history to the more recent, more rigid, um, uh, fewer maze, more musts kind of, uh, uh, that, that, that phase of its lifespan was inevitable. It kind of had to happen if it really was going to be an anti-bike shedding weapon. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great take on it. And that is, you know, while the anti-bike shedding aspect of, of the spec is great, I think it's only, um, uh, uh, it, it's actually minor in, in comparison to the value that, the spec could provide as a ecosystem of compatible tooling on both sides, the server and the client uh, are, are formed around this spec. Yeah. I I completely agree with this point, by the way, I think you're so right that the anti-bike shedding is like the, the, the inside cover of the book. And then the book itself is the tooling that happens on the server and client side. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it allows us to think as API designers uh, more about our domain, less about all these trivial decisions. Uh, and because the tooling uh, exists or will exist, it certainly is getting there, but it's it's not not all there because, of course, the spec has been evolving quite recently. But uh, you know, I'm pretty sure once we get once we tag this 1.0, then the uh, the the tooling will really flourish, and people will be able to take for granted a lot of um, somewhat advanced features in APIs that you know previously would 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 take a you know a considerable effort to implement, and. I think it will allow us as API designers to work at a higher level, to focus on our resources, the relationships, and maybe, you know, solving, uh, uh, solving some even more difficult problems with, with API design. Uh, And one of the, uh, one of my favorite features of JSON API is this, this release relief valve where it, it allows for extensions and those extensions can be additive or they could actually replace some aspects of JSON API and a single server can, you know, and client can negotiate for which extensions are supported by an implementation. And 
those extensions, I think, are where the the exciting developments will happen around the spec, where we're going to see, uh, we already have two official extensions. One is for uh, bulk uh, bulk operations, you know. Oh, uh, I haven't read that one. Okay. Huh. Creating, uh, putting creating that on my list to, uh, to read. <laughs> yeah, it's right at, uh, if you go to jsonapi.org, if you go to the, uh, ex- extensions right off the, uh, the header there, you, you can, uh, read about, um, the official extensions. There's a the bulk extension and the JSON patch extension, which I mentioned earlier. And, um, I actually just made a proposal this morning for an embedded extension, which would will hopefully uh, allow for embedding of related resources in a way that will scratch everyone's itches. Um, people who have wanted, say, side posting, uh, inclusion of, say, uh, related resources like, uh, you know, a an author as well as an author's books all in a single request. This is on the create um, side or update creator update. It could be creator update. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that some is, of the, I thought some of, so I, I was following a couple of the issues on JSON API related to that. And I thought there were some quite passionate and good points made about it. Like I get, I get the need for this one. Um, you know, you know, and, and the, the sort of, I, I, one of the people that was pushing it, I think made a big point to say, well, they're going to run a, a JSON, a, a sort of unofficial non-standard version because this is so important. And, and, uh, to your point before, I thought that person seemed reasonable in general and that they would make that choice seem to speak to the importance of the idea. So I, I love the, I love that you're, uh, introducing something more formal about it. Yeah, I, I I have read a lot of valid points for this, and I've been thinking about it, and I've been, it's been it's certainly turning over in my head for many months. So uh, it was actually the the introduction of the linkage element, which allowed for the space in which this proposal could work, because in, in, an embedded object could sit parallel to linkage. So you could, you, you could, for people who are not familiar with the spec, the, the linkage is used to define the, the, the type and ID of related resources. Well, we actually are using a linkage member w- within a, a particular link. It's a little hard to talk about JSON structure on a podcast, but it's probably <laughs> best to look at examples. It's hard. Uh, it's hard to talk about it, not on a podcast. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> right. Right. So well, linkage is what says a thousand worlds, uh, words. Excuse so, me. So linkage is what uh, enabled polymorphism to be handled a bit more elegantly, right? Was that- yeah. Yeah, the spec is really fully, um, uh, has full support for polymorphism now, which it never did before, before RC2 came along. It was the single biggest, for my usage of JSON API, I thought it was easily the biggest missing piece. Um, because there are other parts that were missing, like I think pagination wasn't included prior to that. And I thought that was 
a miss, but you could just add it on the, the, you know, in other words, you could add to your server and handle it in a reasonable way. And it wasn't that big of a deal that it wasn't supported in the spec. I thought that the, the, um, lack of support for polymorphism was a big deal. Like I, I had to hack around it quite a bit and I was thrilled to see you guys, uh, add that in. Great. Great. Yeah. It, it's something, it's a concern that just affects every, every piece of the spec. So either, you know, you support heterogeneous collections or, or polymorphic relationships or, or, or you don't, there's no way to just simply extend the spec a little bit with an additive layer to support this. It actually has to be a primary concern is what we found. And so we stepped back and decided it was worth it. Even though I don't tend to design my APIs with a lot of, uh, polymorphism personally, I, I, I understand it has its place and we really needed to address it head on or else the spec would splinter and, uh, we just couldn't handle it with an extension. So yeah, we're, uh, we made it first class and as part of the RC2 rewrite. Uh, so I, I'm glad it's useful to you, Sean. It is. Yeah. So, okay. So here's my, uh, here's my recommendation. Let's take the JSON API sort of spec part of the conversation and put a bow on it. Cause in other words, let's not bike shed the bike shed on the podcast. I, <laughs> I, uh, that is fine with me. <laughs> yeah. So on behalf of everyone in the community, a gigantic thank you to you. Uh, there's no possibility that it would have, uh, made it to one Oh, not that it has yet, but it's going to, and, uh, it wouldn't have made it there if you didn't do it. I just, uh, ha- having watched most of the issues go by over the last two months, I, it was a Herculean effort to deal with it. And, uh, the, uh, what we're going to talk about next is the, uh, the fruits of that labor, which is the tooling that's resulting. And, uh, that, that just wouldn't have happened without that effort. So thank you. Oh. Thanks very much. And thanks to this great community too. It's, it's, uh, it, it wouldn't be where, where it was if it hadn't been poked and prodded in all these different directions and all these little, uh, you know, these little bike sheds all added up into something that, you know, that I think we could be, we can be proud of, uh, and will be, uh, useful as, so let's, yeah, let's move on to its utility, right? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, what I'd like to talk about is JSON API resources first, and then talk about Ember data and orbit after that, if that's okay with you. Sounds great. Okay. First, I need to read one sponsor bit since, uh, let's see. So I've got two sponsors today, Codeship and Lynda.com. Why don't I do Lynda first? So, uh, this episode is brought to us by lynda.com, the online learning platform with over 3000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business technology and creative skills for a free 10 day trial. Visit, uh, lynda.com slash Ruby on rails. That's L Y N D a.com slash Ruby on rails. Um, lynda.com is for problem solvers, for the curious, for people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel. I quick aside, I often talk about how I think Excel and spreadsheets in general are one of the best programming languages that we have. So if you don't know Excel, go learn Excel. Maybe uh, you want to switch away from the technical and learn negotiation tactics or uh, 
something related to design, perhaps boost your Photoshop skills, whatever you need, you can go to lynda.com and feed your curious mind. Here are a few of the courses related to Ruby on Rails that uh, you may want to check out. RSpec testing framework with Ruby, uh, Code Clinic on Ruby, there's a Ruby Essentials training, and there's localization for developers. Um, all interesting. I have not used Linda for programming courses because uh, um, I think that they're generally in the intermediate and maybe beginner intermediate uh, level, but I have used it for uh, things related to both audio editing that I've had to learn for this podcast and design, which uh, I can hack a little bit, but I'm not that great at. So I've used lynda.com to tune up my skills um, in that area. Uh, anyhow, uh, your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. Whether you are looking to become an industry expert or you're passionate about a hobby or you just want to learn something new, visit uh, lynda.com slash Ruby on Rails and sign up for your free 10-day trial. Thanks to them for sponsoring. All right. All right. So JSON API resources. Um, I have promoted this uh, gem now on probably 12 straight podcasts. <laughs> and it's made a difference <laughs> because I have received quite a bit of feedback about people being blown away by how amazing it is. So let's, uh, before we get into the nitty gritty, why don't you give a, just a short overview of what JSON API resources is and what it's trying to be, uh, uh, useful for and how it came to be. Okay, sure. Uh, JSON API resources is a, gem for Rails that provides a full implementation of the JSON API spec. It, in many ways, thinks like the JSON API spec. It thinks of the resources that your server represents. It allows you to model them as resources. And those could be backed by active record models. It might, they could not be as well. Um, it uh, provides a routing and a con controller layers and everything can be overridden. Uh, so it allows you to not only uh, support the serialized uh, media type for JSON API, it also allows you to support the protocol considerations. So it, it, it allows you to define your endpoints and support your CRUD operations at those endpoints, define relationships between your resources and uh, define endpoints for those resources, which, um, which can be uh, uh, operated upon independently. And although it, it just now supports the base spec, um, we're also looking at supporting the two official extensions, the, uh, the bulk extension for JSON API and the uh, JSON patch extension. So uh, the, 
one of the the concepts behind JSON patch is the the ability to issue multiple operations at an end, to an endpoint. So JSON API resources actually models internally all of its um, the actions as as operations, and so that those operations either in a request either succeed or fail, you know, transactionally. So it. The design is there to account for these these extensions, but it, they haven't been been fully uh, implemented yet. But um, and I can't talk about this project without giving a huge shout out to my brother Larry, who has been the lead developer on it and has done an amazing job. As as I, I'm, and and I'll, and as you could probably confirm, Sean. Yeah, he's <laughs> but, he's been phenomenal. <laughs> this has been his baby. He's uh, he's taken this this uh, you know this uh, germ of an idea and, and run with it. And you know I I pair with him on it occasionally, and we we talk through some of the thorny issues. But his you know his implementation has been top notch, and the tests the test coverage is you know practically a hundred percent. It's it's really solid. So. Uh, and it's very close to the uh, supporting the full base spec of JSON API. Yeah, so I am. Um, so I've talked to a lot of people about this library now. So I, I, I think that I sort of understand how the community imagines uh, it would be, and, and what the difference is between that uh, sort of imagined version of the library and what it is. I think that people dramatically underestimate just how ambitious the the project is. Um, because you, the, the, the most common thing that I've heard is that it's, oh yeah, it's a sort of a more actively maintained version of JSON API or uh, active model serializers. And uh, I think that you articulated this quite well, but it really is, that's not even close to what it is. I mean, yes, it has a serialization um class and it can handle that, the serialization and deserialization of models. But what really makes it interesting is the, uh, the routing and controllers in particular, and then everything related to actually handling the interaction between the server and its clients. And th that's the bit that blew my mind in terms of upside that, I mean, it's one thing to say, yes, it's, it's easy to convert this resource into a JSON payload or vice versa. It's a whole other ball game to say, you know, that the server itself will basically for free rig up its endpoints to behave in a very sophisticated way with just a little bit of configuration per resource. So I, I wonder what we can do. Um, I wonder what we can do to make it clear just how ambitious JSON API resources is and just how sort of amazing things can be uh, for the developer once they've adopted it. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> or, and, and do you have that same sort of experience that that it, uh, it takes a little yeah. bit for people to see just how amazing it is? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think I think that the community's in store for some um, some nice fifteen minute demos. <laughs> you know, some some full stack uh, applications being created that have. JSON API at their heart that, you know, implements some 
not trivial relationships among resources and on the server side and model that same representation on the client side and give you a whole lot for free. Uh, and, and it's that it's JSON API that, that helps define, you know, all those interactions. Yeah, I and, agree. Uh, I think maybe for the, I, I wonder if for the, the one Oh release and sort of the corresponding, uh, uh, June 12th Ember sort of mega release across everything. If that wouldn't be a good opportunity to have a little bit of a, uh, show off application demo video that shows what's possible. It's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I'll, uh, I'll, I'm not the fastest typer in the world, but you know, at least with a, with a demo video, I could, uh, I can speed that up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm in the same boat there. <laughs> we could solve, <laughs> we could solve that problem. That's right. That's yeah, right. I think that the code, so I've contributed a bit to it. I mean, not a lot, but maybe, I don't know, a handful of PRs that are interesting. And it, it's not that hard to work on either. I mean, it took, I think it probably took me one or two PRs before I had a decent understanding of how the application worked. Um, the the operations and sort of use of operations and the the mapping of the controller actions into the right operation and then that sort of whole workflow I think that was maybe the most unclear bit to me because um, it was, I could, it, under, I could it, see how that, that, that could be true. It's not, not exposed uh, too obviously. And I think we need to do a better job of exposing that because I think a lot of the more interesting applications, more challenging uh, problems to be solved here will be, will come, will involve multiple operations. So, yeah. So, so that bit took a little bit, but once, once that became more clear, it was, it was quite straightforward. And I think my, my uh, favorite thing about working on that library a little bit is how reasonably easy it was to add in callbacks and, uh, a couple of other features that enabled, um, the developer to kind of, uh, insert themselves into the life cycle of a request to do things like authorization. That was the main thing I was concerned about. Um, in an elegant way. And he, he, I knew that the, the library was pretty well written when it, it wasn't that rough to insert that functionality in a way that really, you know, really paid off, like had huge implications for what was possible. So anyhow. Great. That's good to hear. I mean, we're not, we're not de developing this, um, you know, in a, in a sandbox either. We're, we're building real applications with it as we're developing it. So, uh, a lot of the same we've we've hit our head on the same challenges so it's uh but it, it's great i have to say great great to have some help getting through some of the the thornier bits from the community so thanks again for your contributions yeah you know you know that it's going to be a relatively successful project over the next few years when you start to see um issues and questions come in that are from kind of like beginner intermediate programmers that like, I think it's an interesting demographic. And recently there have been many issues that, uh, that have come into the, the, into the project from that kind of demographic. And I think it speaks to how, how big the upside is because that that's the demographic that isn't too set in their ways already. You know, like they, they aren't too, too good to use a library or they're not too, 
committed to making something on their own or, or maybe not capable even of doing so. But man, people get excited about what's possible. And, and that to me is like the, the positive version of the canary in the coal mine on JSON API resources right now is this sort of bubbling of, of interest from you know, pe- people that are, you know, clearly professional programmers, but maybe early on in that journey. And it really lights up their imagination, kind of like Rails used to, I think. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. I, uh, I think just like, just like rails did in the beginning, this, uh, provides, you know, such an easy on-ramp and also solves some rather thorny problems in, in a way that's, that's still accessible. So, uh, I really pleased with that comparison. Thanks. So my, here's my biggest feature request. Which you know, I understand. I could I could go to work on this, and I haven't. But uh, <laughs> here's my biggest feature request, which would okay, be shoot. Uh, documentation generation, mm-hmm. because that is. So I'm working on something right now. That's a. It's not that large of an application now. It's say like medium size, but is part of an ecosystem that over time will be quite big. That I've. Um, lockdown on JSON API as the convention across all of the related services in this sort of ecosystem of apps. And um, the experience level of the people on the team varies. There are, you know, some open source uh, Ruby people like me, and then there's a bunch of .NET. And uh, there are people that are better programmers and maybe more junior. You know, it's a huge range on, on most dimensions of, of uh, what types of people are involved. And um, needing the, the API uh, that's created with JSON API resources and the Rails app plus JSON API itself is, like you said, quite sophisticated, right? It can do all sorts of things. And... Um, I have found it challenging to provide documentation that adequately exposes that at the resource level in a way that is easy enough for um, the less initiated in you know, all these tools to deal with. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what the solution is for that, but that's a thing. Um, uh, yeah, I. You know, that, I don't see any technical barriers to getting that done. That should be something that that we support. You know, whether it's whether it's through a separate library or you know a separate gem that works uh, together with with uh, JSON API resources, or whether it's um, you know just uh, in in the gem itself. But I I agree that that's really important. I mean. It may become less important if you can, if JSON API really catches on and the client libraries are out there to support it and and all of its uh, capabilities, like so that you basically are def- the, defining your resources and then you're able to work with them um, and free yourself from the the actual you know, hand coding of the, 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 the serialization and deserialization on the, on the client side and the, how to sort, how to paginate, how to get relationships, uh, all of these, these details. If, if that's all encapsulated in a client library, then that's, that's like better than documentation, right? Yeah. It's, Cause then it's, it's below the waterline. It's just sort of handled for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. 
but so and you, you'll also have the the benefit of the docs of 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 JSON API. So exactly, you know, if if your J, if your API is JSON API compliant, then someone could look at the base spec and understand how it should work. But there's there really needs to be that that higher level documentation that is very specific to your API, and I think that's where. Well, that's what JSON API resources could provide. And that's, that's what you're asking for. I think that's a great request and that's definitely on our radar too. Yeah. I think that I agree with exactly how you said it, which is that ideally it would produce uh, documentation specific to the library and then would just reference JSON API. I think that'd be fine. In other words, it doesn't have to articulate every single and nor could it practically um, and, and still be readable, articulate every possible variation of what you could do. But, but, you know, some examples and then kind of an overview of what JSON API is, maybe reference to the clients that they could use and, uh, examples of, of using it. That's, I think that'd be great. Um, well, what, what about generation of a schema? Um, is that, I hadn't thought about that quite as much, um, Although I was using Heroku's platform API, which is a terrible name for a gem, but platform API gem yesterday, <laughs> and it's completely generated uh, programmatically by uh, their, or th- you know, through sort of inter- interpolation of the schema. And uh, it got me thinking that there hasn't been quite a lot of, uh, or quite as much chatter about schemas as I would have thought there may be. Um, what's your take on that? Well, the spec actually had a schema associated with it uh, for a, a while. That was a very, I don't know, it was a subset of the spec when the spec was a broad set of guidelines with a lot of maze involved. And yep. it was uh, it was just a very limited subset of that. But now that uh, JSON API has gotten more formalized, we... We really should go back and write a schema for uh, for, for the spec. Uh, I, I would have to double check the current state of that and whether it's even referenced right now. But that is definitely uh, something we're we're planning for for the the spec itself, and but also for for individual uh, APIs. It makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, there's that it, it's well as, as developers we all know it's not as the, the 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 output from simply you know defining a few things without it you know it is such as these resources is perhaps you know it, it's naive to think that you can fully uh describe the operation of a sophisticated application just through its nouns, right? So there, there, there's a place for uh, defining a schema um, at endpoints. There's a place for defining capabilities uh, such as supported requests. Even though you know we the spec defines how resources should be. Manipulated. It uh, it doesn't define say of course that a server needs to implement those all CRUD operations on a right. particular resource. Of course, that doesn't make any sense. So those are definitely you know two orthogonal concerns to to the spec itself that 
uh, will come into focus more after 1.0 is released. I'm sure of it. Yeah. I mean, I think the workflow that back to the idea of our 15 minute video, the workflow that would be compelling, I think, but, but I, I, I don't just think in a demo sense, I think in a real world sense is you start on the server, you build out the capabilities and its resources that then exposes a schema that shows minimally the nouns to your point and, and maybe some about what operations are possible. And then on the Ember side or pick your, you know, client framework, um, you could generate off of what the server was exposing as its schema, your base set of models. Um, right. Because it, it, right. it, it that, that, you know, that, that wouldn't be nothing because uh, especially in a decent size API, that work is a pain. You know, and, it is, and it is. it's not that interesting. And I think, uh, you know, it, even if it took a couple days to define all of that, you know, it's going to be more prone to error and omission and whatnot than, than uh, automated generator would be. So that's kind of the, that's my dream and I'm sure it'll happen. I'm sure that that's what's going to happen and it'll be, uh, it'll be glorious. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's inevitable. Yeah. I'm excited too. Yeah. All right. So let's close off on JSON API resources. Let's thank Larry once more. Thank you, Larry, for your hard work. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. He's, and he's a good maintainer too. So he he's, uh, uh, you know, as with any open source project, there's a variety of issues that come in, you know, some that are well thought through and nicely written and others that are less so and everything in between. And uh, he handles them all with quite a bit of class, which is nice. Um, okay. So let's talk, that's, uh, that's him. <laughs> let's talk orbit. Now I, I, I know like almost nothing about orbit except the, the basic pitch. And it's been told to me, I, I think three separate times now that this is one of the, and this is meant as a compliment by the way, even though it's not going to sound that way one of the more poorly promoted, amazing libraries that someone knew about. And I've heard that like same thing multiple times. It is an incredible unknown thing, kind of like JSON API resources, I think, uh, but maybe even more so. So first is that fair or unfair? <laughs> and I mean the criticism part, not the amazing part. And, uh, and then tell me about it. Okay. Uh, great. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's fair. And to be honest, it's slightly intentional. I've, I've owned the domain orbitjs.com for, for a couple of years now. And, and there's a reason there's not a site up quite yet. And that's because I've, it's the project has been incubating for quite a while. Um, it is, uh, going to be, uh, released, you know, on and publicized on that site very soon. I'm going to have full docs and guides and I've been building, building those up within the code itself. And, uh, it's, I, I definitely, uh, want, want to ex expose orbit to the broader community, but there were a, a few rough spots that I had to get through some challenges because there's a lot of uh, a lot going on under the hood. So just so people have an idea of what, what orbit is, um, it's, it's at, well, it is, the project is on, on GitHub. I'm sure you'll provide links on, at uh, the orbit JS org. And 
Orbit is an abstraction um, around uh, data sources. So it provides a couple uh, interfaces, which can be implemented by any data source. And the concept of a data source is uh, could could be represented by a a, a memory source that, like, say, in, that maintains an identity map between client client side resources and remote resources, and it, it keeps those those in memory. It could another source might be a local storage um, or uh, IndexedDB or uh, WebSockets or JSON API. So all of these different sources of data uh, can be represented by these two interfaces. And one of them is called requestable and the other is called transformable. So internally, of course, for all of these sources to, to communicate, they need to normalize their data and agree on a schema. And they communicate with each other at a low level through this transformable interface in which they send patch operations. And they communicate at a higher level through this requestable interface, where which is pretty developer-friendly, where you have a bunch of promisified methods that return um, Promises when you call find or 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 add or update remove, and you, it's also aware of of linkages uh, and you know relationships between between resources. So the, these common methods can be um, uh, implemented by any or uh, or all of your your sources. So. Uh, and, and then you can wire your sources together because they all have these common interfaces and they all are, have a normalized uh, 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 representation of data that agrees upon a schema. So it is a client side to, you know, to sum up, it's, it's a client side data library for storing and uh, synchronizing uh, data across multiple sources. So I know that you get this question often, but what the hell? So compare and contrast it, if you don't mind with Ember data. So where is the overlap? Where is there not overlap? I mean, I think that some of this answer was obvious from what you just said, but some of it isn't to me. Sure. Uh, there's a lot of overlap with concepts and certainly a lot of inspiration from Ember data in orbit itself. And I was trying to solve a lot of the problems that Ember data was trying to solve in a separate project because Ember data's, you know, this was basically a rethink of some fundamentals and it couldn't be just introduced piecemeal into Ember data without creating a huge mess. So even though I'm, I am an Ember developer and I, do a lot of Ember consulting. I'd use Ember data quite a bit myself with consult consulting, but um, I, you know, a, a couple of years ago, it was, you know, kind of the the, the early formative phase uh, uh, time of 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 life for for Ember data, and now Ember data is getting close to 1.0 and is pretty stable, 
and is does what it does pretty well. Um, uh, but back then I was trying to solve, you know, when I thought of orbit, I was trying to solve a lot of the, the, the problems with, with a new and more flexible and non, not Ember specific even way I wanted. So first of all, you know, orbit is, is not Ember only. There is an Ember, there is Ember orbit, which is a, uh, uh, a, a library that joins the two, of course, that that prevent provides emberified interfaces into orbit sources, and it's very similar in its interfaces to Ember data. But the the core difference, I think, is that that em, that orbit it provides a a lot of flexibility um, in the number of sources that can uh, coexist in an application and provides management of the data flow for all of those sources. In Ember data, you have a single memory store and you have multiple, you have a single adapter for that store. And if you want to say, uh, you know, that adapter might be is probably a REST REST adapter, or it might be Firebase or something. And if you have data coming in from other places, uh, you need to push that data in the store yourself. Um, and there's only one canonical representation of your data in that in that store, and it's not uh, not easy to reason about. Uh, multiple sources of data uh, and working with the the, the 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 working with those sources and merging that data back into a single source. So some of the the challenging aspects of working with Ember data are things like you know how do I say uh, f- fork uh, a representation of a, of data, work on that, and then save that back. Uh, including all of its relationships. How do I, uh, how do I accept, uh, you know, WebSockets uh, data coming in from WebSockets, and also push data out with REST? And how do I make sure that they don't clobber each other? Where do I reason about if they will clobber each other? How do I save data off to local storage? So th- these are some of the, and then you know, reinitialize my my data source from local storage uh, or index DB. So these are the, the problems I was trying to reason about. Um, and, and those are, I mean, I those wrote, aren't, those aren't minor issues. Those are all sort of headline things that one gets concerned about eventually. Um, yeah. It yeah, seems to me at least. That's my, that's been my feeling. I, I don't like to patch over, problems, um, with, you know, with that, that seems so fundamental. Um, and I'm not, uh, I'm, I think that Ember data itself is, uh, is a, is a great library and works, works really well for the majority of Ember apps. Um, but I and I do see a lot of room under the hood for extension. So even though you know it may seem 
right now that it doesn't solve these problems. I wouldn't say that it, it can never solve these problems because of some fundamental architecture issue. I, I don't, nothing that I'm saying is, is, you know, fundamentally incompatible with the, the nature of Ember data. So I, I, uh, and I'm not promoting, um, <laughs> Ember orbit say as a, as exclusively at the expense of Ember data, because I know I've, you know, there, it's still alpha and I'm, I'm still working on some, some aspects here. And that's, it's all part of why, you know, I'm keeping it pretty much on the down low, although I'm trying to talk about it enough so that people who are interested can lend a hand and provide feedback. But, um, it's, it's not quite ready for, for mass consumption. And I still, uh, Ultimately, I hope that, you know, Orbit's design can influence Ember data down the road. And I've talked with uh, Tom Dale and Yehuda Katz about this. Um, so, you know, I, I actually work with them. I, I'm a, I do consulting through Tilda. We, my company, Cerebris, partners with Tilda to provide Ember consulting. So uh, I work directly with them. So this is, uh, <laughs> this is not, not a, a big uh, a big unbroached topic. All right. Uh, so, All right. So, so I think so, there's, there's opportunity for collaboration down the road. That's I'll leave that, leave it at that. So let me see if I heard you right. Uh, because I'm, I'm less in the, in the weeds on this than I am on the other stuff. So they're, uh, they're not drop in replacements for each other, but basically tackle the same class of problem orbits, differentiation is sort of its advantages is that it sort of abstracts the notion of the data store into a federated collection of data stores that act as a unified whole, but aren't actually, which is better for the obvious reasons. And it, um, is sort of built in the first place for a, a heterogeneous set of connections to, to, uh, to servers and allows for, uh, the idea of, of, uh, forked versions of resources that can be, you know, replayed or rewound or popped on and off. Um, and that those are the big differences and otherwise they're, you know, give or take attacking the same problem. Is that, did I get that right? Yeah, that was great. Yeah. I'm going to have you write the, uh, the copy on the orbit site because you're much more concise and, <laughs> and clear. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> well, it helps if you don't know much. I, I, I didn't even have <laughs> other words I could add in <laughs> tips for being That's concise. Great. No little, <laughs> uh, cool. Well, I, um, I'm interested in taking a look on the, on the, okay. So to be fair and I'll be concise in this too, the downside you said is that it's more alpha than it's not, it's not as far along as Ember data. So whereas it may solve the bigger things in some interesting ways that you'd wish Ember data did, it likely will have lower level problems, um, because it's less used and not quite as far along than Ember data. Is that fair? Or maybe that's the case. Yeah, no, I, I like, 
You know, one of the great things about working with Ember is it has this Ember inspector. And the Ember inspector is, you know, works within Chrome or Firefox DevTools and allows you to inspect your application and allows you to look at, peer inside your, your data store, look at all your models and such. It's just so much nicer to work with from a visual perspective to understand exactly what you've got in memory and uh, even change that data. So, you know, it, Orbit could really benefit from some tooling like that, which helps you understand these non-trivial, you know, relationships between different sources and exactly what's in those sources. And, and r- right now it's just not as accessible because of the lack of docs and guides and tooling or like that. Um, I'm, I'm using it in some apps and, or really one app to be honest, except and, and some demo apps, but, um, it, and, and, and working through the kinks, it's, I think that once, once I launch the site, it, I will, you know, I will say it's moved from alpha to beta and it's much more uh, ready for general consumption. Let, let me put it that way without necessarily, you know, drawing direct, um, uh, <laughs> comparisons with levels of stability, which are always going to change w- between it and, and Ember data. But for now, I would definitely say Ember data is easier for t- easier to get get into and easier to work with f- for Ember developers. So imagine with me like a year or let's say two years from now, what's the best outcome from or for orbit, is it that its innovations and uh, both technical and conceptual are adopted by Ember Data, or that it becomes a sort of popular alternative? Which which is better, or do you care? Well, I think ideally, orbit will. Um, be used by projects of all all kinds will be used by framework by other framework developers of the other frameworks uh you know a- angular react uh mm-hmm. and as far as it's in its integration with with ember data it could go so far as to replace the internals of ember data uh with its own with, with orbit itself, with the number data, uh, with Ember data's interfaces on top. Uh, that certainly so that, makes sense because I mean, the, the problems that it's solving are universal for all JavaScript client frameworks and apps. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see where it, where it goes once I take, take the, uh, really take the covers off there, but yeah, it's, um, it's definitely being used by um, some interesting applications right now. So that are out there and there's, uh, got a Twitter account. If you want to keep up with it to orbit JS. Has anyone attempted to write, uh, like a drop in duct type replacement for Ember data that is backed by orbit instead, you know, that, that sort of exposes some subset of the Ember data interfaces, um, but, but actually is an Ember data. Yeah. Ember orbit is really that thing. Oh, it I mean, does it that. Is okay. Very close to Ember, Ember data's interfaces, but it, but behind the scenes, it is, uh, it is orbit. It is, you know, it, 
it's what I use when I work with Orbit and Ember together. Gotcha. Do you register? Is is this a thing in Ember now where you like register who your data provider will be, and then as long and then if, if it uh, provides an interface that's expected, then it doesn't matter if it's Ember data actually or just an Ember data compatible interface. Is that a thing? So, Ember data is an add-on, you know, to Ember and registers itself and registers itself in the your application's container as uh, what uh, store main. Uh, and so, yes, uh, you, I, I have, uh, I have some work to do to make. Uh, Ember Orbit really drop in dead simple easy in Ember, um, but can it Ember Ember uh, Orbit can also you know register under the same key. Gotcha. And they'll you know then some of the models and the namespaces are structured slightly differently because of the su- subtle differences in in the. Ex- externally facing interface, you know, the developer's interface um, to provide access to the orbit's extra capabilities. So it's, 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 it's a, it's a little different, but in a lot of ways, it's subtly different. Um, the, the, the more challenging part would be to abstract the, the multiples. Well, to, to, to work with the, um, all the different orbit sources in as clean a way and with as clean a conventions as Ember data provides just through its, uh, you know, single, uh, set of adapters and serializers, uh, orbit, uh, you know, at this point you're working with plain JavaScript to manipulate those, those sources and, uh, dealing with those concerns, um, uh, in, you know, not as conventional a way as, as Ember data provides. Is there a JSON API? Uh, well, adapter would be the name from Ember land, but is, is that a thing in orbit where I say, okay, this server is a JSON API compatible server. Let's just imagine one O is out for the sake of this conversation. And then it will know how to interface with that, that, that server. Yeah, definitely. There's a JSON API source. They're gotcha. called sources in in Orbit, and that uh, is uh, you know has like a, a JSON API serializer as well, which handles the serialization layer for that, and that knows how to process those um, those those requests that come into it and the transforms that come into it and translate those into Ajax calls to the, you know, JSON API endpoints that expect JSON API data. Cool. I'm going to have to try it on a upcoming project because I haven't yet. Awesome. Yeah. Let me know how it goes. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'm trying to, you know, I'm kind of in this, this last push and hoping to make it a lot more developer friendly in the next month. So, uh, I'll be, uh, excited to hear what you have to say. Uh, yeah, I'll let you know. My JavaScript is, it's not my best suit. I'm, I'm actively working on becoming a better JavaScript programmer, 
but uh, you know. Is it? Is this? Is this the most uh, JavaScript uh, heavy uh, uh, Ruby on Rails podcast ever? Oh no, not at all. No, I okay. I've done a lot of Ember episodes. I uh, really the the podcast is Ruby on Rails in name only. I maybe thirty percent or forty percent of the topics are Rails specific, um, and then the rest of it is you know related somehow. We could rename the podcast like things Sean is Sean is thinking about and an excuse to talk to a smart person on the internet. You know, that, that, that's, (laughs) (laughs) that that could be the name, but it wouldn't fit as neatly in the little (laughs) image, (laughs) nor would people subscribe to it. Uh, uh, The whole, uh, the the whole, uh, web development world has gotten a lot broader since the, (laughs) since the days rails was launched. And, uh, so it's just natural that you would go with that. Yeah, that's for sure. All right. Let me read our second sponsor and then we'll, uh, we'll bring it home. Uh, second sponsor today is CodeShip, uh, usual sponsor of the show. Um, CodeShip is continuous delivery made simple. It's based on uh, usability, so everything is designed to be as easy to use as possible. In fact, CodeShip listened to all the feedback that their users gave, and they recently redesigned their entire application. Not only does it look better, it has lots of new usability improvements to make things even easier than before. You can set up continuous integration in a few steps and automatically deploy when all your tests have passed. They have great support for lots of languages and test frameworks. Integrate with GitHub and Bitbucket, and you can deploy to cloud services like Heroku, AWS, Nojitsu, Google App Engine, or your own servers, wherever they are. To make things even better, CodeShip just launched their brand new feature called Parallel CI. Parallel CI allows for faster testing than ever before. You set up test pipelines, split up your test commands uh, across them, and then run your test suite in parallel. Uh, It can speed up... uh, If your test suite is built for this, it can speed up your development and deployment speed quite a bit. Uh, They have a free plan, so anyone can try out both CodeShip and Parallel CI. It includes 100 builds a month and five private projects. You can find CodeShip and learn more about Parallel CI at CodeShip.com and check out their blog at blog.codeship.com to get updates if you use the offer code 555RUBY, you'll get 20% off any plan for three months. Thanks to CodeShip. All right. So we covered a lot of ground. This has been a quite a good conversation. Thanks for going in all those directions with me. Hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for covering all the... Yeah, basically the, the the full stack of my work here. That's pre- it's pretty cool to have a chance to talk about it all together. I know I felt a little creepy in the conversation. We had never spoke uh, before this conversation, and I knew like a lot about the work you do. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I I think it just so happens that what you work on uh, overlaps almost exactly with what, uh, with what I'm interested in uh, in doing lately. So it's uh, oh, that's awesome. So do you get to work with your your brother, you guys are part of the same company. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. We, uh, we co-founded, uh, Cerebris, um, which is, uh, you know, it was many years ago and we've been a consultancy and we're also, uh, bootstrapping a product too. So, um, we're, uh, 
got our uh, our <laughs> a lot of irons in the fire, so to speak. So like Tilda, kind of, you know, some consulting work, yes. plenty of open source, uh, and a product. Yes, quite a lot of overlap with our with our goals and such. So, and our consulting, obviously we, we consult together. So that's been a great partnership. So I won't ask you about any specifics about the product that you're working on, but on the technical side, is it, um, is it going to be a good example of what's possible with, uh, uh, applications built in, in client side frameworks and kind of the, the various virtues that, believers in that approach extol? That's my hope. Yeah. I, uh, you know, Larry and I have probably put in over, you know, 50% open source time the last year. It's just been a huge year for open source for us, for all of these projects. And we're doing it, you know, to, to drive this vision of where we, think the full stack should go and hopefully bring a lot of other people along with us. And there are a lot of good people who are already going in these same directions like you. And we hope to build something that'll be a great example of, of all of these technologies. I found this conversation about, um, client side frameworks and, you know, their, uh, their future and their merits, et cetera, recently very frustrating. Like I find this incredibly frustrating that, th- that, so, so, I mean, by skill, I'm much better on the servers. I think I am the client side, to be honest, but, um, by sort of, uh, goal, I don't find that at all. Like I, every time I use Google apps, which is every single day for some purpose, right? Either I, like right now I'm looking at a document that I that had the code chip ad on it. I use Google spreadsheets or Google slides. I I sort of like can't feel like you can use Google apps and not believe that that's the future, right? Like that, like I just don't understand how you can use that and say, you know, what'd be better is if I asked a server 500 miles away for a document every three seconds, I just don't get it. And when I hear the reason I, I think, uh, respond well to your sort of online persona is that I, I, it seems like you are feeling that way, especially with orbit. And, uh, I get very excited when I hear that people are working on things that I think are in that vein because more examples that aren't like mega company A, um, but rather, you know, indie shop B, I think are uh, are very helpful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think think there's a sort of a, a, a shared vision that is, growing stronger, um, uh, you know, among the community, but I, and it, it's definitely, I, you know, I, I do a lot of consulting with, with larger firms out, out in Silicon Valley, San Francisco, and, and it is, you know, undeniable the, the, the this trend, you know, that, in in web development, and I've never never been happier uh, with web development than I am now, and the the way I see things going. So I think it's a great time to be involved. Um, I think that we're seeing you know some really exciting uh, advances in in JavaScript 
ECMAScript, the language, um, in the browser space with evergreen browsers, uh, there are fewer and fewer reasons to cling to a server-rendered content exclusively. I mean, there's even exciting things going on with server-rendered content that's then, that's just bootstrap for a, uh, for a JavaScript framework. I couldn't be more uh, excited about that, by the way. Boy, I, it, talk about game-changing, because it takes the one, I think, very legitimate objection that people have, which is that first page experience, and solves mm-hmm. it without a trade-off. I mean, exactly. th- there are trade-offs, but not to the user. Uh, right. And if you're using a framework, not even really to the developer, you know, once, once the tooling's there. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, that, that has always been one of those, uh, those cons and, you know, in the, when people list the pros and cons and, uh, it's no longer there. I mean, there were other ways to work around it, but now it's, it's, uh, it's getting to the point where, where that, that list of, cons has just shrunk to the point where, you know, well, if you're going to, you know, it's, it's shrunk to almost nothing, but to the point where, yes, you have to do very solid engineering on the client side. You have to really test uh, your app, right? Client side integration tests, test your client side separate from your, your, uh, your server side, you have to put in the work to provide that solid user experience. But once you do, um, that experience is superior to a server rendered application for, uh, you know, almost all types of content. The great irony for me is that it makes, um, working in rails much more interesting. Because it takes all the parts that I like about working in Rails and and keeps them and then takes all the parts that I never liked that much and gets rid of them. It's great. <laughs> right? Because like, I, 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 I know it. just which parts you're talking about, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I love writing Ruby and I like writing Rails, but I'm not interested yeah. in, in writing like, you know, a minute spent in Haml or um, CSS on the server side or anything that's like sort of client centric on the server has always felt a little off to me. And, uh, oh, I love the separation. It's, it's actually made me, uh, more into rails, ironically. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I feel the same way. All right. Well, you've got a lot of things to promote, uh, after the show for the next year, as you come out with new products and push orbit, etc. So how should people connect with you? Oh, um, well, I've, I guess I've gotten more public on Twitter, so that would be a good place to start. Uh, I'm dgeb on Twitter. That's D G E B. It's a good, it's a good Twitter handle. Thanks. <laughs> you know, like I thought I, I'd save people some characters early when I got grabbed that early on. Yeah. Yeah. You must've had it a long time ago. Cause I don't think that there are that many four character. Well, obviously there aren't that many four character, uh, Twitter handles, but you don't see tons of them. <laughs> yeah, I was I was glad to grab that around the same time I got my uh, my GitHub handle. So <laughs> just having consistency across that, the the accounts is nice. Yeah, 
Yeah, I went to, uh, I've told the story a million times in the podcast, but about a year ago, I switched to barely known on every online, um, you know, property I could imagine. So that's great, <laughs> which I can't believe that it wasn't, it wasn't taken. Like I felt like yeah, you, you ever have an idea and then you search around and you figure out it actually isn't something that people are doing. And then you wonder what's wrong with the idea because it seems like such an obvious thing. <laughs> Having the handle yes. barely known seems unbelievably obvious to me. Um, <laughs> That's great. But yeah, there's a nice level of irony in there, right? <laughs> the more popular you get, the the better it gets too. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Because when I switched to it, I, it was true and now it's it's less true, but... It's, it was good either way. It's good if it's honest and it's good if it's ironic. So, all right. Well, Dan, this has been fantastic. I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. For those that want to connect with me, as I just said on Twitter, I'm barely known. Thanks. <laughs>